This morning we're going to be wrapping up the uh, Building the Family series, and I've given today's message the title, Family Matters. You know, there was a little Jewish boy named Billy who was failing horribly at math. I mean, his parents tried everything. They tried grounding. They tried pushing him to to uh, do well in his in his studies and to get better. And it seemed like no matter how hard he tried, he just did not do well in math. So finally, the family said, "We've got to try something different." And so there was, even though they were Jewish, there was a Catholic church down the road that uh, had um, you know pretty good reputation as a pretty solid school. So they literally pulled him out of school and enrolled him in this. Catholic school and so he went to school just a couple of days and all of a sudden he comes home from from school one afternoon and he immediately instead of asking to do anything goes upstairs and gets right to his studies they had to call him down for dinner he came down and ate dinner went right back to the books and this went on for a little while and and after the time went by and he got his very first report card billy came back in and laid the report card down on the counter and, it, and the parents looked at it and it was an a in math and they were what in the world so they begin to question their son what is it what is that what is it that is different about this school are the teachers that much better than what you had before no are the books better than what you had before no and they just kept asking and they couldn't get down to it and finally they said well, well billy what is different?" he said well first day i was there i looked up during our math lesson and I saw that they had a guy nailed to a plus sign, and I knew this school took math seriously. <laughs> this morning, you'll notice a cross down front. I think we need to take a fresh look at the cross and remind ourselves the meaning behind the cross and the sacrifice that was made and what it was Jesus was dying for on the cross. Because when we talk about family, when we talk about family matters, it's all about the cross. You know, of all places, I ended up in Titus when I began to think through this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and, and a little bit of history. Titus wasn't a... Jewish individual he was a Greek believer and Titus was given the responsibility of pastoring a church in Crete and Crete didn't have the best reputation it was kind of a harbor area there was it was a, a um, place where pirates even would be in that day and time and just all kinds of issues that were going on and so around AD 66 Paul sends a letter to this pastor of this church that was planted on the island of Crete and begins to give him instructions. Now, there's one thing I believe that Titus understood. Titus knew that, that the church family mattered. Paul knew that the church family mattered. And the whole idea is they were trying to take this group of people, even though there were some Jews and some Greeks, and there was all this confusion on how much of the law they should follow and how much of the law they shouldn't follow and all the stuff with that. And so he knew that, that, that the church family mattered. And so can you imagine being given the task in that circumstance of making a church family out of all these new believers? 
And so as he began to do it, there's no doubt that he understood. How many know that a healthy family grows? You know, we've got our first grandbaby on the way. We're excited that a healthy family grows. But the same thing applies to the church family. If it's healthy and it's right, it should be growing. There should be some, some natural growth. Now, we do have some natural growth. Lately, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, it's a good thing we ex- expanded and remodeled the nursery when we did because we've got several on the way. So the nursery is, we got that done just in time. Praise God. But here, Paul sends this young pastor, Titus, some great advice that I believe is relevant for today. And in chapter 2 there, he really begins to talk about the cross of Christ. And he says this, verse 11 through 15, which is where we're really going to be camping out today. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. How many know that's a task we have today for sure? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. There's a whole lot of stuff in that right there. And so we're going to be looking at this morning. And what I really want you to get is this idea. is for us to look anew at the cross. Because when we look anew at the cross, it should remind us of, of how serious God is about building the church family. How many know that, yes, Jesus died for the individuals, but he died to build his church? And it's so easy for us, I think, at times to, <clears throat> to look at the cross and, and to be thankful for the grace that was paid for, that was bought and paid for at a high price on the cross. But sometimes... How many know we can be tempted to stop there? But what I want us to look at this morning, the first thing is that grace matters. But there's some matters about grace that sometimes we don't stop and think about it. We all know that by grace we're saved. Thank God for that, because I don't know about you, I fall way short at times. It doesn't matter. While we're walking this earth and we've got this human skin on, we're not going to be perfect. None of us have arrived. It's a work in progress. I'm further along the road than I was, you know, months and years back, but I'm still not there yet. And I won't be there until that trumpet sounds and I'm transformed into what he intended me to be in the first place. So thank God for his grace. But his grace also teaches us to give up some things. And sometimes that's not talked about. His grace also teaches us how to live this thing out. And so we're going to look at that this morning because grace matters. Let's look at just verse 11 and 12 again real quick here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Praise God. 
And sometimes we stop there, but he doesn't stop there. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, there's, there's, there's a reason for that grace. His grace doesn't just provide for our salvation his grace allows us his grace was meant to empower us his grace was meant to be an example the cross was meant to be something that trained us to live our lives out better his grace teaches us what to give up let me know that sometimes i've been amazed sometimes when i see somebody give their life to christ that there are things that that i knew were in their life that I didn't just walk up to the meeting. Now that you've given your life to Christ, you've got to stop A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, you know, working down the list. What I've noticed that most people, when they have a real encounter with Christ and they really give their life to Christ, that they begin to discard some of those things themselves naturally because that inner witness of the grace that has been given to them leads them to begin to change their lifestyle. So grace teaches us what to give up. This whole idea of the grace of God is incredible. Many of us probably consider ourselves prodigal children that have come home. Now, here's the interesting thing. Through His grace we have. But the truth is, we're not necessarily prodigal children in our salvation story Actually, in our salvation story, God is the prodigal. See, somewhere along the line, we've taken that term prodigal, and we've, we've moved it over to, be, to mean something wayward. But actually, the definition of the word prodigal, you can look it up. The definition of the word prodigal is extravagant spending or lavish giving. Now, obviously, that fits the young man that left because what did he do? He began to lavishly spend the inheritance that he was giving. But at the same time, that fits the work of what God did by sending his son to the cross because he lavishly bestowed upon us grace by the giving of his own life. See, God gave us his son on the cross so that he can lavish us with the grace of God. See, Paul also tells us something different and different that we may not even know. His grace trains us. I love that idea. His grace trains us. Or in some translation it says his grace teaches us. It says that he trains us to renounce ungodliness. I know that sometimes that's a little missing today in renouncing ungodliness. I love what the NIV says. The NIV says it teaches us to say no. Now, I know for some of you that are younger, but I remember when it was a big deal, the national saying against drugs was just say no. I think we need to get back as believers to be able to look at sin and temptation and just say no. No, thank you. I don't want that. That's not beneficial for me. 
Romans 6, 1 and 2 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know, there was some people, what, what Paul was dealing with here was there were some people that thought that somehow they were glorifying the grace of Jesus and what he'd done on the cross, that almost like the more they depended on grace, the more they needed the grace, the more they sinned, that it was somehow glorifying the grace of God. And Paul makes this statement. He says, because of that, do we continue to sin? No. Because what was paid for us is that how can we still sin because of the price that was paid for it? We must say no to lying and cheating and stealing and lusting or anything that's contrary to the nature of God. Jesus died to rescue us and to purchase, but he didn't do it just to purchase us a license to continue in the very thing that nailed Jesus to the cross. There should be something in our, in our thankfulness for what he's done that causes us to say, you know what? I'm going to lay that aside because of him. We say no to ungodliness. We're actually saying yes to Jesus. Our love... For his lavish gift of grace should cause us to seek, to cease to look when we should not look. We should cease to do when we know we shouldn't do. We should cease to take, take more when we know that we should give more. We should cease to be selfish and vicious when we know that we should be sacrificial and kind. We should cease to be sensual and immoral when we should be disciplined and pure. We should cease to seek recognition when we should seek the glory of God. Think about this. If I had a brother that had been murdered, I mean viciously murdered for something he didn't do, and I spent my time hanging out with and partying with the very person that committed that act, what would that mean to my brother's death? Would it not cheapen it? Think about this. Sin murdered Christ. So should we be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of incarnate God. So how can we love it? There should be something in us that looks at what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ and what he went through and what put him there that should cause us to look at that and say there is no way I can be associated with anything that had part of putting him on that cross. Because of what was done, I need to change things in my life. There are things I need to put away and stay away from and walk this thing out. We should stay away and say no to anything that will break the heart of God. John 10.10. 10, famous passage of scripture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the abundantly. Now, 
There's the two sides of the corn in this passage. I'm amazed some, sometimes how that some people that claim to be believers associate more with the first part of this, that passage of Scripture than they do the second part. They want to hang out with the one that kills, steals, and destroys instead of the one that came so we can have life and have it abundantly. Because we do. We see so many times today. How many know that we do live in a crazy time? We do live in a crazy world. And, and sometimes, and I'm, I'm not saying that we got to be... Sometimes, let me put it this way. Sometimes people draw boundaries that God didn't draw. And they can be so judgmental. But just because of that doesn't mean that we cast aside all restraint and that we don't try to live a holy and upright life. Because of what he did, the grace should teach us to walk away from ungodliness. Then the second thing I want to look at this morning is hope matters. We are blessed with hope. Once we're saved, one of the greatest gifts that we are given in that grace package that was lavished on us is hope. We get to walk through this life on this earth with no matter what's going on around us with hope. Things can be going horribly. You can go to bed at night knowing that you're going to get up tomorrow and things are going to be just as messed up as they were the day before. But guess what? We still have hope. Titus 2, 13 and 14. I want you to look what Paul continues saying to Titus. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. See, when Paul speaks of the blessed hope, he's talking about the return of Christ. And because of the return of Christ, because of the price that was paid, the good news is we are never without hope. I mean, let that sink in. Let that burn it into your brain. We're never without hope. Never. But the interesting thing is, hope, us, hope should have, let us live our day, our lives each day ready to serve Him, each day looking for the return of Christ because that is our ultimate hope. It's all going to be fixed. The moment that trumpet sounds, if you're a believer in Him, it's all going to be fixed. It's all going to be put right. All the ones that haven't responded, they got a little junk to go through for a period of time. But it'll be good with us. We should live our life looking for Jesus. We should walk through life. Yes, we got to do stuff. Yes, we've got to work. Yes, we've got the things of life. And there's and there's there's family situations and all the stuff that we face in life that doesn't go away that's still there but we should be living out this life we should be walking out this life still with kind of one eye looking up towards heaven because one of these days that trumpet is going to sound and I know many times when I talk about that I hear people make statements they say well you know but yeah but that's been the church has been saying that for for centuries and centuries and it hasn't happened yet but that's true it hasn't but I know this it's closer than it was before 
But sometimes in life, we don't remember this very well. And I'm not saying I've got it together because I don't. Sometimes the business of life, sometimes stuff I have to do for church things can get so busy that I can kind of get so caught up in all that that I'm not necessarily stopping and keeping one eye looking up. Because we can do that. Sometimes remembering what we need to remember because of what was done on the cross can be hard work. Because stuff happens in life. Sometimes I think, though, as believers, as Christians, we have what I'm calling spiritual memory loss. We kind of forget what really should be the main priorities because we're caught up in the junk of just living life. You know, memory loss can be a bad thing. Kind of like three sisters who lived together. They were older. They were sitting in the little den living area one evening, and one of them gets up and says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bed. So she started up the stairs to where the her bedroom was, and about halfway up she stopped and had a little conversation with her sisters and then as she turned around and she said was I going up or coming down and one of the sisters that was still seated said you were going up you were going to bed okay so she went on and went to bed a little bit later one of the other sisters got up and went in the kitchen to fix a sandwich and she gets in the kitchen a little bit she calls out to the sister that's still seated she goes what did I come in here for you went in there to fix a sandwich boy I'm so glad that I don't have the same issues with memory that you guys do knock on wood then she gets up from her chair and goes to the door and asks who's there Sometimes we have spiritual memory loss. God has laid out some priorities for us, but in our busyness of all the stuff that we're hit with every day, we forget the things that should be the priority. That we should be looking to heaven. That we should be remembering that we have a hope even during difficult times. That we should be remembering that, there, that we should be living a life that is a godly life. Because Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back... We won't wonder who he is. We will not forget who he is. I believe we will immediately know who he is. The question, however, is will he know who we are? Will we be able to say, that's one of mine? So I guess my question is, are we really even looking forward to his return? I could probably ask for a show of hands this morning and probably most everybody in the room would raise their hand oh yeah I'm looking forward to his return but are we really are we really living our lives like his return is imminent 
I remember growing up in church. I mean, I, I've I've been in this thing from the time I was a little kid at our in our men's class the other night. I said, you know, I was raised by by a, a father that had us in church and that lived it before me. I had a grandfather, especially on my father's side, that lived this thing out in front of me. So I grew up in that environment. I'm not saying I was perfect. I'm not saying that there wasn't a time that I didn't test boundaries growing up. But I, I grew. But I grew up hearing all the time that Jesus' return was imminent. It could happen at any moment. I remember many times hearing such fire and brimstone messages that I kind of gauged where I was at depending on whether that made me scared or I felt good about his return. That's a pretty good indicator. If some people start talking about his returning and there's a little bit of fear there, then maybe there's some things you need to get right. We should be looking forward to it. But he will return one day. And we live, and my point is this, we live in a world that all around us, everywhere we look, we see people that are dying without hope. We see people that are killing themselves, taking their own lives because they can't find hope. They think hope doesn't exist. They've searched everywhere they know to search. They've tried all the wrong things. They've tried to chemically give themselves hope. They've tried to find relationships that will give themselves hope. They've tried to find living lavish lifestyles or making money a God that will give them hope. But all of those things come up empty and there are people that are dying every day because they have no hope. And because of the the cross of Christ, every one of us are walking around and we've got hope. We're never without hope problem is we're not as good as we should be at sharing hope I've got my hope well if you guys only knew the hope I have well tell them about it share it as God's people we have an ordained duty by God to share this hope near and far First Thessalonians 4.13 is a passage of scripture that at some point I will get to at every single funeral I've ever preached because Paul is dealing with that and he says this but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as those who have no hope there are people that have no hope it is so wonderful when I'm called upon to do a funeral to be able to look at the family in the eye and say there's hope there's evidence in your loved one's life that they trusted Jesus and the cross of Christ and because of that you may be grieving but you're not grieving like everybody else 
you have hope. And in some cases, I love it when I can stand there and with confidence, I can stand up and say, it's not just hope. We have this assurance that your loved one is with the Lord. You miss them, but that's a whole different world. I've only done a couple, but I've done a couple of funerals that in that moment, I can't look at the family with honesty and give them any hope because there's no evidence that there was, now I'm not God, I'm not judge, I don't know what happened in those last moments. I, you know, I, I, I'm never going to be cruel enough to stand up and say, don't go where they just went. I would never do that. (laughs) But in all honesty, sometimes you kind of have pretty good insight. And it's hard to look at a family member and not be able to offer hope. But let me say this. How hard is it, though, if you had someone that you knew, someone you had a relationship with, someone you had a friendship with, and the day comes that you have to go to their funeral and look at their family in the eye, knowing they didn't have any hope and knowing you had hope and he never shared it. That's the thing with the cross of Christ. Because of that cross, we have hope. But the hope, this world is dying for hope. And it's our responsibility, which leads me to my last point this morning. Works matter. I kind of made up a new word, faithing. So what did he say? He said, Jesus gave himself up for us, redeeming us from all lawlessness. Why did he do that? Well, he gives us the answer starting in the last part of verse 14. He says to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And then he continues, who were zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I mean, he's giving clear instruction there that Jesus died and he purified and he brought us into the family to be his people, but he's looking for us because of that to be zealous with good works. You know, one of Jesus' disciples called Simon the Zealot. You know what the zealots were? The zealots were the ones that were actively involved in trying to overthrow the Roman government. And to do the things that they were a part of, that means that, that his background was being pretty aggressive in challenging Rome. How many know that if we're supposed to be zealots, zealous for works, that means we should be pretty aggressive and pretty active 
and doing something. Works matter. Being zealous for good works is way more than just cheering them on. Man, we can talk about outreach. We can talk about missions. We can talk about all these things the church is involved in. And we can throw numbers out and everybody applaud and cheer it on. Oh, that's great. But it kind of reminds me of a story. There's a guy in the late 1980s by the name of Charles Blondin. He was a famous tightrope walker. Multiple times, he walked a tightrope over Niagara Falls without a net. He did it multiple times. One particular time, as history tells us, that he was walking across, and he'd walked across Niagara Falls, and he'd done some various tricks and things, and he got to the other side. It was addressing the crowd. Everybody was cheering at all the stuff he did, and so he'd quiet the crowd down, and, and I don't know how he yelled over the noise of the deal, but this is historical, so it happened. And he said, how many of you believe I can do this carrying somebody on my back? Crowd cheered and yelled and he motioned them for me, be quiet again. He said, who wants to be that person? <laughs> Crickets. Sometimes as Christians, I think we're a little like that. We want to applaud people that are zealous for the works of God. But when we start talking about who wants to get involved and help, crickets. Finally, the story goes that one person out of the crowd stepped forward and was willing to let him carry him on his back. You know what it was? It was his manager. His manager, the one that knew him the best, trusted him enough to carry him across. I'm not sure I would go there, <laughs> in all honesty. But he literally carried his manager across Niagara Falls on a tightrope because he trusted him. Why is it if we truly trust the cross of Christ? We're not zealous for works. Because we should be. We should be zealous. We should be involved. There should be, you know, in all honesty, and, and please, I'm not trying, my, my goal is not to get on everybody's case, but in all honesty, a church shouldn't have lack for anybody filling any position because we all should be so zealous for the cause of Christ that we find the place that our giftings fit and we roll up our sleeves and we get involved. Because you may not be the best public speaker, but you know what? You may know how to hold a baby. And if you can hold a baby and keep them occupied so that their parents and especially the mom can come in and sit down and get what they need and come to know Christ, then you did your part. You may not be the best at going out on the street and, street and preaching, but you can show up to some events and give a cool cup of water or maybe a hot dog or something in his name. There are things that we can do, and as people, we need to be zealous for the cross. James 2.26. I love, in all honesty, 
I love reading the book of James. James isn't so super heavy theologically. You don't have to really break down. He just says it plain like he means it, and he cuts straight to the chase. And I love what he says here in verse 26. For, the, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, looking anew at the cross of Christ should remind us how much building the church family matters. Jesus died to build his church. So because of what was done for us, it should matter to us. You know, we should be in the business of faithing. You know, trying to remember who it was that said it. I think I got it here. Hang on. I'm going to back up for just a moment. Billy Graham put it this way. Faith is taking the gospel in. Works is taking the gospel out. Living, breathing Christians inhale faith and exhale works. And repeat. Kind of like the shampoo bottle. It shouldn't end. Lather, rinse, repeat. It doesn't say how many times, right? Faith without works is dead. Because of the grace bought at the high price, let's put our faith into action. Let's give hope to those around us. Let's go faithing. Let's make faith a verb. Let's make faith a verb. James went on to say, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith with works. Kind of like, it's one thing for the crowd to stand there and say, oh, Mr. Blondin, I believe you can walk across, I believe you can carry somebody. I just ain't going to be that person. His manager went faithing. We trust the cross of Christ. We need to go faithing. Jesus did so much because of grace. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Jesus did so much for grace by giving his life on the cross. It was so vital, so important. 